Uh, you're listening to Sean of the South, and I'm your host tonight, Sean Dietrich. And it is a pleasure coming to you live in the podcast airwaves and the radios all over the nation. This group of fine-looking gentlemen on the stage here behind me tonight fixing to play some music for you are the High 48s, everybody, the High 48s.
Well, Thanksgiving is coming upon us. It's inching closer to us a little bit more each day. It's in a few weeks that we will all be gathering around a big table trying to give each other diabetes with, our, with the dishes we prepare. We will sit around a feast with our family and we will pretend to like each other. Some of us will not pretend as hard as others, but we are all pretending. This is Thanksgiving. And it is the mothers who put on most of this work. There's a mountain of work facing them ahead during this holiday season. They prepare and they slave and they go to a lot of trouble. And sometimes I worry we don't thank them enough for what they do. Which brings us to the letter we just received this week in the mail from the Union of Mothers Who Cook for Thanksgiving. An old club. Old club has been meeting for 118 years in Pensacola. They meet five times a year and they give each other encouragement for the mountain of work lying ahead of them this time of year when they will, they will make a feast happen for the people they love most in their life and they will watch everybody gather together and, and go back for seconds and thirds. The Union of Mothers Who Cook for Thanksgiving or the UOMWCFT for short. <laughs> UOMWCFT has been around and they are here to stay. They want to offer a public service announcement this year for Thanksgiving to anybody who is listening. And this public service announcement, important public service announcement, is on the subject of how to say grace properly at the dinner table. Dear Sean, writes Edna, Edna from Pensacola, Florida. Sean. If you're going to be a dignified family member at the table, you're going to need to learn how to say grace like one. We here at the UOMWCFT want the people listening to your show to know that saying grace at the table is not just a small act of talking. It is a way that we all commune together under one, under one roof. You can tell a lot about a person by the way they ask for blessing at the table. That's because there are more wrong ways than right ones to say it in this part of the world. For example, Sean, I feel it is my duty here as a representative of the UOMWCFT to say that poems and rhymes are prohibited at the dinner table. They are quite improper. Now, my son learned this the hard way, Sean. I will never forget it. He sat at my Thanksgiving table, and I asked him to say grace as a rite of passage in his young life. And he stood up and he said, Oh God, oh God, bless this food before us set. It needs all the help that it can get. (laughs) And that, Sean, that is how my son lost his left molar. Also, Sean, please tell everybody in your audience or on the radio that it is improper to close a prayer, especially if you are a 13-year-old boy or younger, with the word, a woman. It is always amen, Sean, always amen. Anything else would be, would be disrespectful, and we here at the UOMWCFT want to prevent disrespect. It is also exponentially rude, Sean, to go the opposite direction and feign spirituality by using King James English when praying at the dinner table. My cousin visited us last week. He is a Methodist deacon, and he prayed 
like this. <clears throat> Almighty, we beseech thee, Lord, verily doth thy visage beam, yea, down upon us. From thither shall we lift thine eyes. Sean, this is highly improper because most people at our table do not speak Methodist. Also, Sean, I feel it is my duty as a representative of the UOMWCFT to tell you that long-winded prayers are also rookie mistakes at the Thanksgiving table. My brother-in-law, for instance, and I cannot use his real name because he listens to your show, so I shall call him Ricky Dicky Smith and Wesson III, <laughs> takes great pride in his long-winded blessings so that we cannot even ask him to open his mouth. We cannot ask him to open his mouth. When he stands at the supper table, my, my brother-in-law Ricky Dicky recites the entire Old Testament backward, then forward, and then parts of the book of Revelation. And Sean, before he ever says, Amen, Three of my elderly aunts have had their knees lock up. And two of my uncles have already suffered diabetic comas. And four of us have already resolved to take Ricky Dicky Smith and Wesson and strap him to the top of our car and drive it off a shallow cliff. <laughs> the truth is, Sean, we here at the Union of Mothers Who Cook for Thanksgiving know that heaven doesn't need our long, long prayers. We know that heaven doesn't need to hear anything because God already knows what you need before you ask it. So just make sure you don't do something highly, highly unintelligent like my husband just did a few nights ago when we sat down to a family supper. My kids were in town. We were all there together under one holy roof. And my husband stood to recite his prayer, which was, Oh, gracious Father, my heart is stabbed with riot. Please save me from my wicked wife who has me on a diet. <laughs> Sean, I followed his prayer with a prayer of my own because we here at the Union of Mothers who cook for Thanksgiving are prepared for such emergency situations. I stood at the table and I said, Oh Lord, oh Lord, forgive my husband who must be very ill who after all these years does not know how to recite a prayer even still. Please, please, I come to thee with great remorse that you shall forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for our divorce. <laughs> now that's letters from our listeners. We're going to have another tune here. Another tune here from the High 48s, everybody. High 48s. Living in sin, I never look back. 
flashlights glare I can see my breath In the cool night air Taste of freedom Is bittersweet For I know my Lord I'll never meet Last chance for the gospel This last week, autumn made its triumphal entry into northwest Florida and south Alabama, and we are glad to see it come, glad to have it, glad to have the change of weather, which is a stimulant. It makes people want to get up and move. You look outside and you can see a reduction in the population of godless mosquitoes. And you can feel, you can feel the air which is, is actually conducive to human behavior out of doors. For the rest of our, of our lives in this world, this hot, humid, and florid world, we are trapped indoors because heat is so strong that it brings grown men to their knees. But in this little period of time before winter fully hits, we can actually go outside and experience the world that God made for us. This was the time of year, every year, that the youth group would take their trip up north somewhere, and I can remember the year that Brother Silas asked me if I wanted to be a youth chaperone for the youth group who was going to Dollywood. Now, Dollywood, for those of you who don't know, maybe listening to this uh, on the radio from some, some other part of the world, is like Disneyland for rednecks. Dollywood is a glorious place. You walk through the gates and you can just feel that the people here have wheels on the bottoms of their houses. It's true. Now, I'm not going to criticize anybody because I myself live, I live in a structure that has more mileage on it than my truck. It's a 2003 trailer, but it's nice. It's nice as long as you remember that during the cold seasons you have to put your coat on before you go to the bathroom. As long as you understand that there is a soft spot on the very west end of my trailer that leaks during rainstorms and it just happens to be over my bed. Other than that, it's a great place to live. Dollywood is filled with people like this and this is the destination that small town people, we run to places like Dollywood or Branson, Missouri because you can, you can be yourself. Dollywood has this wonderful allure towards children in our part of the world and they wanted to go, this youth group at the 4th Baptist Church of Black Creek to see Dollywood. Now the only memories I truly have of going to a Dolly Parton themed anything was when I was a, 
a 13-year-old boy, and we went to go see a Dolly Parton impersonator in Branson, Missouri. Dolly Parton impersonator. I'll never forget it. My mother was with me. I walked into this this grand theater showhouse. It was magnificent. Red velvet curtains and a glitter ceiling and gold on the entryways. And in the bathrooms they had toilets that were made of brass with ice cubes right in the bowl. I remember looking at these toilets going, what do I do with that? And there was a man who was standing by the sinks. He had his arm outstretched with a towel draped over it and a bow tie on. He said, you're supposed to pee on it, son. I said, yeah, but why the ice? He said, because it helps cut down on the sound. Hmm. Well, you learn a little something new every time you visit, visit Branson, Missouri. The Dolly Parton show, I'll never forget, was just wonderful, wonderful. She sang all her famous songs, this impersonator who looked just like Dolly Parton. And then when the show was over, out in the lobby, the place filled up with people. And this woman with this blonde, curly-haired wig came a-walking out, and she wore a dress with so many sequins on her. She looked like a human disco ball. (laughs) And I looked at her, and I could see her looking at me. A 13-year-old boy, and she walked toward me, one step at a time, and I lost myself watching her. I was about uh, chest high on this girl. (laughs) She came toward me, and she wrapped her arms around me tight and squeezed, and I almost suffocated in her enormous attributes. My mother spotted me from across that lobby. She saw me, and I saw her mouth drop open, and her eyes became like holy fire. And she jogged toward me, and she grabbed me by the earlobe, and she yanked me away from the Dolly impersonator, and my mother started praying in tongues. And I have been a Dolly Parton fan ever since. (laughs) On this youth trip, there were three chaperones. There was me... Brother Bill, Miss Sandra. And we had one job, one job. Our collective job as, as highly trained spiritual overseers was to make sure that these children did not commit one of the seven deadly sins in the back seat. <laughs> these children are, are hormonal, lustful, godless Teenagers, They are at that time of life, that stage where sin just comes natural to them. They can just wake up and step out of bed and invent brand new sins that have never been heard by the human race before. And when you put both genders together crammed in one, one church van, you are bound to discover things about The human race is a whole that you would rather not know. Miss Sandra sat in the back watching the people she served as the warden. And Brother Bill, he drove the van, and my job was to threaten. That's that's a very important job in the youth group. Everybody needs one person who, who is the threatener. And so I would say things to these people, to these children who were little humans discovering brand new ways to to flaunt the good word of the Lord. I would say things like, get your hands off her. 
right now, or I'm going to call your mother. So help me, God, I will call your mother. Or I would say things, say things like, all right, Alan, Cynthia, you switch seats. Switch seats. I'm serious now. I have your mother's phone number right here. I, I will use it. Or I would say things like, if you don't stop singing that God-forsaken song right now, we will turn this fan around. <laughs> I don't have children, but I know that the most threatening thing a, a, a parental figure can ever say is that they will turn the vehicle around. It doesn't even matter where they turn the vehicle around and point it to. As long as that vehicle turns around, that's when you know the stuff has hit the fan. Yes, sir. We had 18 boys and 10 girls and three chaperones. This is a, a dangerous ratio when it comes to youth group trips. It certainly is. 18 boys. They all, they all grouped together. The boys huddled together and they made, they, made these, they made these smells come out of their bodies that could, could stop a grown man's heart. And they made sure that you knew these smells were happening while they were happening. They would announce these smells. And then once these smells had made their appearance in the van, they would rate these smells on a scale of one to ten. <laughs> the girls had their own, their own manner of passing the time. They all huddled together in the back around, around something. They, uh, maybe a Walkman or a radio, transistor radio. And every now and then they would spontaneously sing a song at the top of their lungs all together. And then they would get real quiet and they'd start giggling again. And then they would start spontaneously singing again and then then more giggling. Well, things were getting out of control in that that church van. And Miss Sandra decided to help us pass the time. Everybody passed the time. After all, this nine-hour drive up to Dollywood was a long one drive was not pretty, it was just interstate. Nothing beautiful to look at. Sandra, drawing upon her powers as an English major, decided she would teach us how to compose poetry. Poetry is a good way to pass the time. Learning how to use prose and meter and rhythm and, and symbolism. This is a good way to learn how to pass the time. You can get lost writing words on a page. Miss Sandra passed out little notebooks to the kids in the bus, and they were all really interested in what she said. She had a gift with children. Miss Sandra has three kids of her own. None of them were in that youth group bus because they were too young, but she knew how to handle children. She passed out these little Indian chief notepads, and she passed out number one pencils. Long ago, we used to write during my generation. We wrote. We did not have computers. We did not have typewriters to type on a school. We learned cursive handwriting. And we wrote with these number one or number two pencils until we had a callus on our middle finger. These children held their pencils. Miss Sandra explained poetry to them. She explained literature. She quoted a few examples of poems from, from literary giants in our American past. And then she set them to composing their own poems. And it was silent for a good long while while we drove, while the children reflected on the wonderful things Miss Sanders said. And I, too, composed some poems on a page to help pass the time. 
And when it was time to recite these poems, she called on Daniel first. And Daniel, Daniel rose in the center aisle of that van, and he held his notebook, and he announced to everybody with a glorious literary recitation voice. Roses are red, and violets are like glasses. God help our youth chaperones who don't know their heads from their... (laughs) And I commenced to threaten in him, I commenced to threaten in him within an inch of his ever-loving life. And I could see Brother Bill gripped the steering wheel a little bit tighter and his face was turning white with holy rage. His teeth grit so hard I could hear one of his molars crack. (laughs) Miss Sandra said, all right, Heather, why don't you recite something? Little Heather, red-headed Heather with freckles all over her face and ribbons in her hair, she stood up in the center aisle and she recited, the Lord is my shepherd and I am his sheep. Please, for the love of God, pull this bus over because I've got to take a major pee. (laughs) Miss Sandra started to lose it. I could see her trembling. I could see her trembling. She said, sit down or I'll call your mother. And Miss Brother Bill pulled the bus over, in fact, over at at a filling station. We all piled out 28 children and three chaperones. The children walked into that little gas station to waste their money on things like Cheetos and Doritos and Funyuns and anything that turns into a stinky powder when you eat it. And Brother Bill, he paced outside the van while the van was filling up with gas back and forth. And I could see him reciting the Beatitudes just to calm down a little bit. He was reciting, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And he was moving back and forth, back and forth in a, in a holy frenzy. And I looked for Miss Sandra. I couldn't find her. I walked around the back of the gas station and I saw her by the dumpster. She had burned through an entire pack of Winston cigarettes. When we got back onto the church, the church vehicle, Brother Bill said, you know, you've got to call Daniel's mother because cursing is not allowed in his poem. You know, that curse word, we can't let that go. I said, I don't want to call her. And Sandra said, well, I ain't calling her, don't look at me. And so we, we drew straws to see who would get the opportunity to call Daniel's mother and tattletale on him, and I got the short straw got the cell phone out. I dialed Daniel's mother's number and I called her. I said, ma'am, I don't know how to tell you this. I know you've done your best to raise a good boy, but uh, we just wanted to tell you he's been acting up a little bit and uh, he, was, he was reciting a poem on the school bus and he used, he used an ugly word. I know this isn't a big deal, but I just wanted to tell you. She said, you know what? I don't care what he did. I tithe to that church every month so that I get this one period out of the year where I don't have to be around my child. Don't call me again. Thank you very much. And she hung up the phone. That night, we all found lodging at the uh, hotel uh, the Holiday Inn uh, was where the girls stayed with Miss Sandra, with the ten girls, and 18 boys stayed with us, Brother Bill and I, over at the Motel 6. It was a little motel rundown 
It was my job to go into town and get everybody takeout supper for, for the evening. And I went into town to get everybody takeout at the Waffle House. I fulfilled 28 orders for children and three orders for adults. I came back to the Motel 6 riding the church van all by myself trying to steady my, my nerves. I was road weary and I was tired. I stepped out of the church van and I saw five silhouettes behind the Motel 6. I got closer carrying these plastic bags of Waffle House food and I could see these silhouettes getting more clear to me. They were our boys and in their mouths were oversized cigars about the size of firewood. They were lit on the ends and a cloud of smoke rose around their heads. One of the boys was wearing a top hat with a flower in it and another boy was wearing a cowboy hat and they were talking and carrying on in low voices and laughing and giggling behind the Motel 6. I came up to them and I said, what are you doing? By the time I reached them, they'd already discarded their cigars. They'd tossed them behind the bushes. And the boy in the top hat removed his hat. He said, oh, oh, don't, don't mind us. We came out here because uh, we wanted to pray for the troubles and tribulations facing the Middle East. <laughs> I said, I was not born yesterday. So I called Brother Bill down. He came running down that staircase wearing nothing but a pair of Auburn, Alabama University boxer shorts. <laughs> he looked at those boys and he started quoting from the book of Leviticus, started quoting things I'd never heard before. He was on fire and he decided to just to just take it to the next level. He began to preach a full sermon, a full-blown sermon. When he had finished Three of the boys agreed that they needed to be rebaptized. And I led us in a stirring rendition of Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. The next day we all gathered at a trail on one of the Smoky Mountains, Thunderhead Mountain. We're gonna walk to the very top, hike to the very top. I was dressed in hiking boots and the children were all tired from staying up way too late, giggling and, and telling stories until they, they all fell asleep. Children are natural storytellers. They love to tell stories. And they had told stories all night long so that Brother Bill and I and Miss Sandra had bags beneath our eyes which reached down to our belly buttons. <laughs> Got everybody ready at the trailhead and we started hiking to the top. And the girls beat us to the top. They smoked us. They were about a mile ahead of us. They passed us on the way back down. Brother Bill was nursing a pulled hamstring from an old football injury, and I was winded because I have a sensitivity to altitude. And Miss Sandra said, something's wrong. We saw her. We knew something was wrong before she even said it because her face was just was, was wearing that look that all youth group chaperones wear, a look of fear mixed with a little bit of exhilaration. She said, I've lost three of my girls. Brother Bill's heart sank. He looked around at our boys who were down at the trailhead just beneath us, and he did a head count. He said, we're missing five of our boys. We all felt sick to our stomachs. We rushed down to the bottom of the mountain, and when we got down into the, the parking lot, 
we found all of our missing members. Spencer and Lula Ann were behind the church van. Caught in the throes of unbridled passion, their braces were locked together. (laughs) And on the front of the church van was Wilson. Wilson was selling Victoria's Secret catalogs to anybody with an earshot for 10 bucks a pop. And Reynolds was letting the air out of the church vans with a little penny. And one of the back tires was already almost all the way flat. And Leroy was over by the bathrooms trying to solicit Mountain Dew from a miner. Oh, Brother Bill was about to have a nervous breakdown. He sat down on the bumper of the van and he pressed his hand over his chest. He said... I don't know if I can do this. You know, I have high cholesterol. The doctor told me I have high cholesterol. No one could find Sandra. She was over behind the bathrooms, no doubt, because we saw a billow of smoke rising behind the bathrooms. But we managed to gather the youth group together into the van, and we finally hit the promised land, Dollywood. The lights of the text on that big sign were just entrancing Dollywood. There it was. The holy, holy land of milk and honey. We got into the parking lot and to tell you the truth, I don't even remember what happened much that day except that Daniel, young Daniel, had somehow managed to get his head stuck between the guard railing metal bars and that I had to call park security come disassemble the guard room to get his head out. But other than that, it was a really fun trip. The kids enjoyed themselves. They had a marvelous time. Marvelous time. Blowing their money on big stuffed animals and riding rides that go round and round and round and induce severe nausea <laughs> in their passengers. We made that long drive home and the kids were all quiet up in the back and they were, they were sleeping I don't even remember much about it. It was all a blur. By the time we got to that church parking lot, we saw cars. They were all crammed together in the parking lot. Parents standing outside the cars with their arms folded, and they were, they were waiting to see their children again. Parents, even though they get tired of their children, there's nothing like the feeling of seeing your child after a few days of not seeing them at all. Everything good about that child comes to the surface and everything bad about that child recedes into the background. These parents were wearing warm looks of love. And when we pulled into the parking lot, Brother Bill ran his hands through his hair. He said, my God, we made it. We made it. Miss Sandra helped the kids off the church bus. We, we saw children run across the parking lot, arms wide open, bags had been dropped onto the pavement. And they hugged their parents, hugged their parents, and their parents kissed their hair, and they patted their backs. And one by one, the children crawled into their parents' vehicles, and they curled into a small ball, and they went to sleep, wearing the looks of saints upon their faces as if they'd never done anything wrong in all their lives. Parents drove and watched the last set of taillights leave that church parking lot. Me... Miss Sandra and Brother Bill. And we'd made decisions among ourselves. We truly had. 
We'd made a few decisions. Miss Sandra, with uh, Winston hanging out of her mouth, said, I think I'm going to put my kids up for adoption. <laughs> and Brother Bill said, you know, I've decided something too. I believe I'm going to go to the Mexican restaurant and order me a margarita. <laughs> Brother Bill had never, never tasted alcohol in his life, the Southern Baptist man that he was. We all hugged each other because traumatic experiences bond one another together. They bond you with an unbreakable bond. And I watched them leave the parking lot waiting for my wife. My wife showed up driving our little Nissan. She kicked open the door. She said, how was it? How was it? She said, I missed you while you were gone. I said, honey, roses are red and violets are made of poop. That's the last time I will ever chaperone for another youth group. Hey, thanks for having me tonight. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host today, Sean Dietrich. And man, it's been a bona fide pleasure if I do say so myself. I hope you join us next week and maybe even a week after that if you ain't got nothing going on. That music you heard behind me today was the stunning music of the High 48's Bluegrass Band. Since forming in Northeast Minneapolis in 2006, these boys have been making music that combines the soulful sounds of classic bluegrass with a modern, sassy attitude. They're a band with one foot in tradition and the other in the world of music today. In addition to keeping a busy performance schedule, these boys are passionate about music education and in demand as instructors teaching one-on-one, online, and in workshops around the country, including their now twice-yearly Bluegrass Jam Camp for Kids, the Grass Seeds Academy. Look up these guys if you get a chance, the high 48s.com. You won't be sorry you did, and maybe you can even download their new album, Daddy Was a Bank Robber. To find anything more about what I do, you can visit SeanOfTheSouthShow.com. There you can find a complete archive of all our past episodes, the good ones and even the flops, when we had no idea what we were doing. And while you're there, I hope you take the time to drop me a line, because I love to hear from my friends. Tell me about your birthday announcements, wedding invitations, grandparents' anniversaries, ice cream, socials, and church potlucks, and I'll do my best to read them over the air, because I love to do that sort of stuff for my friends. And speaking of friends, friends, if God is watching us, the very least we can do is be entertaining. Adios. Thank you.